The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The following podcast contains explicit language. This is a deaf school where we can be seen, but the world doesn't recognize us. That's not true of all hearing people. I recognize you. That's nice, but I'm here because I'm a parent. Hey, this is Represent, and I'm Aisha Harris. Welcome back. So that clip you just heard is a scene from the family drama Switched at Birth, featuring Marley Matlin as Melody, who is communicating via sign language with Leah Thompson as Catherine. That's Thompson's voice you're hearing. A bit later in the show, Marley joins us via her longtime interpreter, Jack Jason, to discuss her incredible career. Now, for those of you who are listening in and want to share this episode with someone in your life who is hearing impaired, we've also prepared a full transcription that will be available on the Slate.com site the same day this episode drops in your feed. And we'll put a link to it in our show page. Unfortunately, this isn't something we do with every episode, and we really regret this fact. Though I will say the reason why is because we just currently don't have enough resources to make that happen every single week for all of our podcasts across the Slate and Panoply Network. Hopefully that won't always be the case. Now, before we jump into my Marley interview, though, how about we do a bit of pre-woke watching? A little while back, one of Slate's wonderful members of the art team, Derek Johnson, sat down with myself and Verlin to discuss a movie he's always loved but knows has its issues. So here we go again, royally complicating one of your longtime faves. So yes, Derek, we are here today, and you need to tell me what your uh, pre-woke watching experience is. Okay. Um, So one of my favorite comedies of all time, um, pretty much everybody for the most part, I think, is Coming to America. Yes. Right? Hello. Hi. I am Akeem. It's nice to meet you, Akeem. I have recently been placed in charge of garbage. Do you have any that requires disposal? No, it's totally empty. Well, when it fills up, don't be afraid to call me. I'll come take it out most urgently. When you think of garbage, think of Akeem. And um, Coming to America is a hilarious movie. It's, it's, still, it's classic. It you know, still holds up. Um, and it's something I didn't notice until you know, I was young, young when it came out. And all you knew was oh, it, was, it was a really funny movie. But it wasn't until I got older so I realized that um, the dichotomy between two biological sisters in the, in the, in the movie... Lisa McDowell and Patrice McDowell. Lisa is the light-skinned one. Fair-skinned, kind of light-skinned. Mm-hmm. Patrice is the dark-skinned one. The uh, fair-skinned sister, she has, she, has, she has great hair, beautiful hair. She's, you know, she's very, very, very beautiful, picturesque. You know, she's business-minded. She, you know, she, she has a great job. She, you know, she has a good head on her shoulders. And her younger sister, the dark-skinned one, 
she's portrayed as um how, how, how should I put it? She's portrayed like and she's she's kind of fast, kind of you know. Um, <laughs> she she hits on um on Akeem Semi, and at the end of the movie, she she, she uh takes uh Mr. Soglo away. <laughs> Soglo, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. We're seeing some some colorism going on. Yes, here. there is. Yes, there is. Yeah, and I don't know. Do we need to explain what colorism is? Oh. I think you kind of just did. I, I did. But <laughs> you want to you want to go ahead and give the. I mean, essentially, <laughs> with within well, not just the black community it can be within like the Latino community and other communities as well, and Asian communities is like the idea that darker skinned women, especially, are a certain type, often the less desirable type, the more quote unquote ghetto, mm-hmm. um, the more slutty or you know fast and loose more unattractive whereas fair skinned the closer you are to looking white uh right. the, the more attractive you are the more re- refined you might be in your characteristics mm-hmm. um yeah so there that's just that's the thing that's the thing that happens right. it also happens in like so many so many different yeah. movies and, and casting whether right. you know when you think of Someone like Lena Horne, who Lena mm. Horne was amazing, but she right. she also was like subject to that that sort of casting of like she was the light skinned one. So when you put her up against someone like Ethel Waters right. in Cabin in the Sky, who is a heavier set woman and also darker skinned, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they played that out where like one was the attractive one, the other one was like the matronly homely one. Right. So right. we have that going on, you know, forty years later after Cabin in the right, Sky right. in Coming to America. Yes, I don't want to ruin for anybody, but it's still a great movie. It's still a hilarious movie, but. It's just something you notice. I also mentioned too. It also ha- happens in House Party too. Another one of my favorite movies. Um, oh, you're right. Yeah, the, um, um, the two female leads. It's uh, AJ Johnson who plays Shireen and Tisha Campbell who plays Sydney. Um, Sydney's the, the you know the light skinned one, and Shireen's the dark skinned one. Shireen lives in the project. She's more experienced per se. Yeah, you know, you know with 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 guys and and she's more she's portrayed. Um, Tisha Campbell's character is portrayed more as um kind of like kind of a nicer girl like it happens there too i'm not sure if that intentional or what but it happens there too so when did you realize like when did it dawn on you in with coming to america and with house party i noticed this when i got i don't know my, my old in the 20s or so mm-hmm. and like, i was watching um, and like i saw the parallels between the movies and like this is a little crazy was this when when you realized this in your 20s was this also when you were kind of coming to terms with realizing that colorism existed outside of that movie or did you or had you known for a while like Oh yeah, like there there are these stereotypes um about the way people perceive light skin versus dark skin. Um I think it was a little bit of both. Um I, I can't I, I don't know exactly pinpoint when I when I started noticing this thing, but I did I kind of got more um conscious of of just of that kind of thing of 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 race of race relations like that. Um I can't really pinpoint it. I just I just just happens like to realize it one day. I don't know. I just got woke one day, I guess. <laughs> you <laughs> I, just I, woke I, up yeah. one day. <laughs> woke. <laughs> it, it, I just thought, and I think talking with friends too, and friends bring up certain things too. I'm like, oh yeah, you're probably, you're, I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you still love both of those movies. I though. do. So like you can, you know, look past it and. Yes. 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 Okay. That's I fair. To- I totally can. I mean, I, I still, I still know, I, I still know every time I watch the movies, but it's for some reason it's not so. It's not crazy where I, I don't like the movie anymore. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's actually, more important movies in you know, in, in in black film. So, I think. Well, you're actually the first person I've talked to so far for pre woke who has a child. Yes. Actually, has a child. Uh huh. 
Uh, you have a, a very adorable daughter. Thank you. Is this something, I, I assume this is a movie that you might want to like have her watch at some point. Mm-hmm. And would you talk to her about this this issue and, and explain it to her when you introduce it to her? Or do you think that's something she'll have to come to on her own? I'm not going to, probably won't explain to her right away. Like maybe she'll, she'll figure it out. My, my, actually, my daughter's very, very light skinned too. My, my daughter right now is, has light skin and blue eyes, which is really crazy. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure she'll have to, you know, I think she will deal with this kind of thing in, once she gets older. Um, crazy enough, I was in the supermarket the other day. I was kind of just pushing her around, you know, and um, a lady came up to me and said, and, and usually the, a lady comes up to me and goes, oh, your, your baby's so beautiful, you know. I say, thank you. And usually they ask next, you know, is it a boy or a girl, which is, which is okay, and, and or how old is she is. Yeah. The first person, first, first thing she said is, is your wife white? And I was like, was this a black woman? No, no, no. I don't even know what her nationality was. Like, I can't even. But she, but she was like ethically ambiguous. Right, right. And And she asked you. Yeah, and I was like, no, she's my wife's Latin. It was okay, and I kind of like, like, okay, have a good day. And I, (laughs) when I walked away from her, who asked? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't. I just, it's, it's crazy, crazy. Like, I, I think it's still an issue with people that don't realize that. We, we, we we come in so many different colors and and different in different shades. I, I swear, I swear. This happened. I want to know, like, what was the? It was like, hi, hi, baby, so cute. Like, what? Like, how did you get there? That that, that, I, that's how. That's how it happened. There's no. There's, there's no get there. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it happened. Well, you know what? Some people just like have no filter. Mm-hmm. Did she? Uh, this is Verilyn that's been screaming off mic for a second. <laughs> Did she at least acknowledge that what she was asking you was inappropriate? Uh, that's the thing. I don't. I don't think she even realized what you know. What she what she said was appropriate. Maybe, maybe I don't know. But that's the first time that's ever happened, and I, and I feel like you know it's funny. This comes back around full circle. Like I, I'm, I'm sure my my daughter when she gets older is gonna have to deal with with all kinds of issues with you know complexion and whatnot, and you know trying to describe you know what she is and what she identifies as. It's, it's a I, I got my first little taste of it that day at the supermarket. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> this is in Williamsburg, by the way. <laughs> of course, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Around the issue of colorism, I kind of also, um, Martin, Gina, and... Oh, yeah. Very much so. Obviously, Very much Gina so. and Pam. Uh, yes, that was, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually, when I, I interviewed Tashina Arnold last summer, and I actually asked her about this. I would say no to your question, only because what Martin and I had was really organic. So wherever that comes from is because of us, personally, mm-hmm. and not because of what we really saw in each other. It just so happens that Tisha is very light. Yeah. And, and what happens is people, people, you know, Tisha would go, to, like girls would come and watch the show in the studio audience and every time Tisha would talk, they would suck their teeth. <sighs> They didn't want, mm-hmm. because, so people, they didn't want her to have the man. They wanted, you know, right. me to have the man. It's like, you still get it on both ends. Mm-hmm. You know, light-skinned women still get, you know, the same treatment. So different. We treat it differently, but there's you still have to go through hurdles. You're, you're as, still black, so. <laughs> either you're, not, you're too black, not black enough. Yeah. It's always something. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like. I mean, it's kind of different, but the fact that <laughs> on Fresh Prince there was the the, <laughs> the original mom, <laughs> and then the second mom got yes. lighter. <laughs> it was yes. like, oh, okay, right, right, <laughs> All right, right. Sure, that that's what's happening. No warning, just boom, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, I'm so glad we talked about this. And obviously, I'm sure people are like yelling out there. Maybe they're yelling, listening right now. There are lots of other issues with coming to America that we could go into, but mm-hmm. we're not going to. No, maybe, no. We'll, we'll maybe save that for another uh, pre-woke <laughs> experience because I, I, I also love the movie. Right. Like, I think it's very funny. And, yeah. And, but we got to admit, there's a lot that does, like, if they were to make it today, it would not fly. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so yeah. we, we know there are other things we could talk about, but we're, we focused on the colorism today. And maybe another day we will pre, we will be more woke about other parts. Verilyn is just <laughs> scrunching her face <laughs> and nodding in, in agreement right now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Derek, for no coming problem, on. No problem. And sharing your pre woke and and good luck dealing with everyone asking you about your white wife. <laughs> shout out to Vanessa. <laughs> yes, shout out she to Vanessa. She loves that story. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. Thanks. As we all know, these last few years have seen conversations around representation on screen really heating up when it comes to race, gender, and sexuality. Where there hasn't been as much attention paid is to the issues around disability. And I know I've been guilty of not really considering it as much as I probably should. Recently, I got a chance, though, to have a conversation with Marley Matlin, who is not only an award-winning actress, she has an Oscar, but a prominent activist for disability representation. So here's my conversation with Marley, which was conducted via her longtime interpreter, Jack Jason. So, Marley, you recently did a guest spot on season two of The Magicians. You played Harriet, a magician whose BuzzFeed-like website is also a site for encoded magic. And I thought it was really great the way in which you were first introduced on the show, in which uh, you greet two of the characters in sign language, and one of them sort of freaks out and believes you're casting a spell upon them. Um, I thought that was just really clever and funny. And I'm curious as to like w- how you landed the part on that show, and what made you want to do it? Well, actually, it started, honestly, um, I'm, I'm not one who watches sci-fi. Uh, it's not just part of the type of shows that I watch. Um, I don't know if, if my kids watch it either, but... I have heard a lot about The Magicians and that it was getting a lot of great reviews because I just keep up on things with the biz- in the business. And The Magicians kept popping up in, in my viewfinder, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, it would be a no-brainer to have a deaf person on the show because there is a lot of mystery, uh, uh, magic uh, from a person who is deaf, you would imagine there wouldn't be any barriers. And my character, who's Harriet, would be somebody that could fit in quite well. The two visitors to Fuzzbeat start signing, and the the character, Arjun... We're here for the book. Principles of Conjuring Elementals. That's ten years overdue. Whoa, whoa, whoa! She's not... Casting, she's signing. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't speak that. She said we don't look like librarians. All right, well, you don't tell her we're looking for the book. Actually, when we did it in the first take, he scared the hell out uh, when he when he jumped, and I was like, oh, I realized, oh, okay, this is what they're doing. They are playing a joke. They're mm-hmm. going to play with signs and finger tutting and. It, it really worked out quite well because of the fact that there's so much diversity in the show. There's so much mystery in the show. There's so much 
sort of humor uh, and we can play with people's perceptions of what a deaf person can and can't do on the show. And a lot of people responded very positively to it and they saw that it worked. And I was very pleased. So it's the perfect vehicle and the perfect show for me to be on. Yeah, yeah. And you are also currently on Switched at Birth, which is wrapping up its uh, fifth and final season right now. Two more episodes left. Yeah. And the final 103 episodes. And then, this, you know, we close the chapter on that show. But it will live forever in Netflix. Yes, yes. It is on Netflix right now. That's actually how I got to catch yeah. up with it. Um, and, you know, you've been on it since the beginning and you play the mother of Daphne. Daphne is one of the characters. No, I don't play the mother of Daphne. I play the mother of Emmett. Yes, the mother of Emmett. Daphne's best friend, Emmett. Right. And just so those who are listening and are reading know, um, Daphne is one of two daughters who have been like the title says, switched at birth. The hospital believes there was a mix-up. Did they actually use that word mix-up? Someone wasn't careful matching the ID anklets. It's extremely rare, but it happens. You took home someone else's baby. And another family took home yours. The whole show is about uh, the family dynamics. Yeah, Daphne yes. is the deaf one. Yes, right. And Bay is not the, not the deaf one. Right. right. And so Daphne and Emmett and your character, Melody, are all deaf on the show. And I'm curious as to, like, after all of these years, you know, are how much are you going to miss the show? And sort of what was the dynamic like on set uh, for you while, while you were doing the show? I'm going to miss going to work there because I, I really enjoyed the camaraderie on set, the cast and the crew, uh, the writers. They made a concerted effort to include deaf characters. And this is the first network show that had both deaf and hearing actors together working in conjunction to tell stories. Uh, the use of American Sign Language was prominent on the show. Mm -hmm. It was in each and every episode. Um, they were very innovative. They used subtitles. Uh, they, they educated. They entertained. People were always fascinated with the use of sign language. So many factors on that show. I mean, so many things you could learn from the show. You could look at it from so many different angles. And the fact that it won awards, the fact that it, I mean, it reflected real life events. Uh, it, it really encompassed everything. There were, there were no barriers on the show to watching. Anybody could watch it. And I mean, we had an episode and I think it was a learning experience for most people and people who weren't accustomed to watching a show with no sound. Yes. But we did an entire episode in American Sign Language and that was awesome. I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss the people on the show. I'm gonna miss um my character. I felt free to play her because I wasn't restricted in any way in terms of having to learn how to speak lines or I mean, I got my character. She made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And she was authentic and the writing was authentic and I, I was, I mean, not only was I a mother for Emmett, Daphne's friend, I was also a guidance counselor at a school, a mainstream school. And I, it, she took care of things in a way that was familiar to me. And it, it, the storylines that they tackled on the show, whether we're talking about racism or you're talking about, I mean, Lizzie, Lizzie Weiss really was not afraid to go ahead and tackle uh, touchy subjects mm -hmm. and it's very rare these days I think and I hope that other people will pick up uh, the mantle and, and continue this uh, because 
it makes sense to create more roles for deaf actors out there. Right. I mean, one of the things that really struck me was the way in which the signing on the show went as fast as the as you know you would expect people in real life to speak. Yeah, I mean that's how it is. It's just it's like another language. That's all it is. Yeah. I just think it's prettier. It's artistic <laughs> looking. It's prettier. Yeah. It's it's very expressive. I mean, not only are you talking about you know moving your hands, you're moving your face, you're moving your body, and uh, I'm not saying that other languages aren't pretty. I mean, they're they're lovely to listen to, but I think sign language is perfect for the visual medium. It's visual. You can see it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are motivated as a result to learn the language. Yeah, I, I mean, that was going to be one of my questions was how did viewers respond to uh, hearing viewers respond to this uh, in season one, as opposed to like, as the show went on? Have you have you found that they've been more receptive? I, I think at first people were were, were fascinated by mm-hmm. the show. Because knowing, again, we're talking about younger audiences. Younger audiences are looking for something to relate to. They're looking for something different. Uh, they're trying to find parallels in in their lives on these shows and, and reflections of what happens. And, you know, in this show, when you add the layer of sign language onto it, there's this idea of, oh, wait a minute. Uh, there are certain people that we think differently about. There is isolation there is a, a separate community and they feel there's some sort of identification there they it just it's it's learning a language but then not learning a language mm-hmm. it's being part of a community but not being a part of a community but the, there's definitely a lot of things that happen in the deaf community that they can see reflected in their own lives and it was immediately received very well i think it might have taken a couple of episodes because it's not necessarily something you see every day, sign language all the time, mm-hmm. but it went rather quickly. And as a result, uh, classes uh, boomed in sign language. Um, and of course, it had helped. We had some beautiful people on the show who were mm-hmm. great looking actors. So, <laughs> indeed. Not me. not me, though. Not me. I don't I'm know if I'm hag. necessarily the one. I'm the old hag, I'm the old hag on the show. So. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I would beg to differ on that. Uh, but yes. <laughs> Um, there have been criticisms, though, from some within the deaf community about the fact that Katie Leclerc, who plays Daphne, um, she's in real life has only exp- she experiences only intermittent she, hearing loss. She says she has a hearing loss. So who are we mm-hmm. to judge what she has? She has Meniere's disease. Right. So that is that causes a, a deafness. And I've seen it happen with her where she loses hearing like right on the spot. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to see and scary. But she knows how to take care of herself. And yes, she hears. And yes, she speaks just like a hearing person. But that doesn't bother me at all because she was cast in the show. She knew sign language. She knows what it's like to be deaf when her Meniere's disease comes up. And so she's not faking it whatsoever. It's just that there's a degree that you just... You can't judge who that person is. Mm-hmm. If a hearing actor is playing a, a, a deaf actor, that's a different story. But she's not hearing. She has a hearing loss. She knows what it's like to be deaf. And she plays her character as a result of those experiences that she's had. Yeah. She's able to do that. Mm-hmm. There, There's also been, just beyond that sort of criticism, there's also the fact that she has, and she's been open about it, about the fact that she um, has a she calls it a deaf accent, a quote unquote deaf accent. I mean, what are your thoughts on that in terms of in that way? Well, I can, I, this is my this is the answer I can give you. Mm-hmm. I can't hear it. Well, yes. 
<laughs> so I, I'm not the person you should ask or to judge about it. I can't hear it. I don't know it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say about it. Yeah. Like you said, the with Katie, totally fine. But in terms of non-deaf actors playing deaf characters, that's a whole other story for you. Mm, that That's a problem. Yeah. Because there are so many talented deaf actors out there that haven't been seen. And there are just a few. I, I know how this goes. I myself was an unknown actor. And they struggled with casting me in Children of a Lesser God. Mm-hmm. It is a problem for hearing people to play deaf people because they are, it's A, not authentic, and B, there are actors who could do the job well. So, I mean, th- th- there are people who are both brilliant and artistic who can do exactly what the role requires of them. If the role fits them, if they look right for the role, if they're you know appropriate for the role. So I don't know why why we have to continue this, why we need to have this sort of, you know, this deaf version of blackface. It's, there are so many opportunities for deaf actors. It's just not right. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it also seems to be that the fact that there just aren't as many roles being created for, for uh, deaf people. There are, yes, there's not enough roles. And when they do come out, I mean, listen, I'm not going to accuse every person or deny every person the opportunity to play a role as an actor. Um, and perhaps writers, I'm not going to accuse writers for not doing enough for deaf people because maybe they don't have the opportunities to meet deaf people. They don't know uh, anything about sign language. It takes, you know, just a, a moment to learn, but it, I can't blame them if they've never had that, that, in, that encounter. But if you're going to write a role about a drug addict, you need to know. Uh, what it's like to be a drug addict, and you need to research it, and you meet with people. The same thing goes for deaf people. If you want to write a role with a deaf person, then you need to research, you need to do your homework. But it can also be that it doesn't have to be about being deaf. You can put deaf people in any role. It's it's not it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's it's just like your role in The Magicians. You like That character didn't necessarily have to be played by right. a deaf person, but it was. Yeah. Right just happens to be played by an Oscar winner mm-hmm. deaf person. Well, yes. And it makes it more in- it makes it more interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. And not because of the Oscar. And let me say that, but it's just more <laughs> interesting to put a deaf person in a role, a person who happens to be deaf, just just adds it adds diversity. Exactly. It adds diversity and that's what we're talking about these days. So why not? Mhm. Well, I want to get to your Oscar winning role in Children of a Lesser God because that was that was your film debut in fact. Um and I'm curious as to first just how you got the acting bug and and what it was like for you to navigate the industry at that time, around the time that you were in Children of a Lesser God. and Because that was a, even more so than it is now, there weren't as many opportunities for people with disabilities to be seen on screen. Well, um, okay, so let's tackle this from two different perspectives. Yes, it was a big thing that they hired a deaf person to play a deaf role Initially, they were going to cast a hearing actor in that role. But Mark Madoff had specified in the notes for his play and probably had the same um, clout for the film that the role had to be played by a deaf person. And I think it took somewhere between two to four years for them to cast the role. They were looking all over. I was in a stage production of Children of the Lesser God, coincidentally, in Chicago. And that's where I'm from. And the director, Randa Haynes, saw me because they sent a casting agent to all these productions. 
and filmed the cast. So I did my thing as part of this casting process. And I was in the play and auditioning. I was in a I was in a supporting role. I wasn't even in the lead. Mm. And I was 19 years old. And suddenly, the next thing I know, I'm going out to audition for the film. I just got out of, of community college. I'd been acting since I was what, seven or eight years old. I was with the International Center on Deafness and the Arts outside of Chicago since mm-hmm. yes, since I was eight. And I'd done stage plays and 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 musicals in sign language. And I basically thought of myself as a ham. Anyway, so <laughs> what happened was they saw me on this video. They bring me to audition. They bring me to the final uh, tryouts, and I get the film. And what happens is that I'm the first person to get an Oscar. Now, remember, at this time, there was no social media. And it was hard to get the word out. Now with social media, everybody knows. There's no excuse for not putting a deaf actor in a deaf role. Right. But back then, it was completely different, um, trying to find the right actor. How are we going to find a deaf actor? Casting for two to four years. But because of what we're doing these days with social media, there is – this is where I struggle. There's no excuse for not hiring deaf actors for deaf roles. It just doesn't happen. Even Rex Reed said – when I won the Oscar, it was the result of a pity vote, and I didn't deserve the Oscar because I was a deaf person in a deaf role. So wow. how is that acting? He didn't understand that deaf people could be actors, that you somehow <laughs> had to play deaf, that you somehow have to play a person in a wheelchair, that mm. you have to play blind. And that kind of beha- you know, that kind of perspective has to stop. Because there are plenty of actors who are deaf. There are plenty of actors in wheelchairs. There are plenty of actors who are who have, you know, visual barriers. There there are all sorts of people with disabilities who are actors and that don't have to be necessarily in roles that are about being disabled. You can just put a disabled person in the role. There are twenty the twenty percent of our population has a disability and it is not reflected in film or television. Only five percent of roles on TV are played with characters that have disability. And of that 5%, only 5% are played by people who actually have a disability. So 95% of people who play roles with disabilities are not disabled. Right. That's that's a big bowl of wrong. Yeah. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Yeah. I mean, you had someone like Rex Reed saying all of that. What did, you know... Was were you? Did you find support elsewhere during that time period? I did. I mean, I found support when I won the Academy Award. I got a huge. I mean, there was a huge groundswell of support from the deaf community, from uh, deaf people who spoke, deaf people who signed, deaf people who did both, and they were very, very proud of me. And at the same time, they gave me a great deal of responsibility, and that responsibility showed up. At the following year, because the following year, I wanted to show people in Hollywood that I had another side of me. And the other side of me was that I could also speak. That was some that was something I'd always been able to do. So when I spoke at the Oscars, and I'm not talking about all deaf people, but when I spoke at the Oscars, a good amount of people felt that 
by speaking, I was trying to send a message to parents of deaf kids that they should speak and not sign. And can you? So now, sorry. And can you just explain what you mean by speaking in terms of? I, I watched the clip actually, and I know that you know there is an interpreter. Was it you, Jack? Actually, who was the interpreter? Yes, it was yes. me. I'm stepping out of my role for a second and say yes, it was Jack Marley's interpreter for that. Yes. Now I'll go back and interpret for Marley. Yes. So that's what you mean when you say speaking in terms of like having an interpreter as well in this in that case i spoke and signed at the same first i signed Mm -hmm. the introduction for the oscars right then i spoke the names of the nominees that i worked very hard for for several weeks Mm -hmm. you know with the potential names because i wanted to i wanted hollywood to see that i could also speak because the character i played in Children of the Lesser God only signed, and that wasn't exactly who I was. And it's nice to know who I am as a person, that I can sign, I can speak, I can do both. Mm -hmm. And it also opens me up to roles where they might need a deaf person who speaks. Mm -hmm. That was my intention. That was my intention. However, some people in the deaf community misunderstood my intention and thought that I was sending a message out there that speaking is the preferred mode of communication for people who are deaf as opposed to signing and that somehow you should pass this message along to your children. And that's the last thing that was on my mind. I didn't even know that there was this controversy between people who signed and people who spoke because I was young. I wasn't politically motivated. I had never been in that argument. I never knew that there was oralism versus sign language. That wasn't my thing. I was just, as I said, a down-to-earth person from Chicago. So that was my defense at the time and people misunderstood and chose to use me as their i mean and as i mean i use jack now if i spoke now for example you probably wouldn't understand me maybe five percent of your audience might understand because sign language is the preferred mode of communication for me in this type of setting but in other settings i can speak i can speak you hear me speak and if I go to the grocery store or if I – I mean, I don't need an, an interpreter all the time with me. It just depends. But I wanted Hollywood to see this part of me and to know who I was. And people were very upset. And they said, Marley Matlin, offensive, question mark. And to this day, and to this day, I still talk about it because people still bring it up. I think it's, it's gotten less and less. But people still bring it up 30 years later, whatever. Right. I mean, what did it feel like to be thrust, like, with all of that um, kind of having to be the representative? It, it was extremely hurtful. It, it really hurt my feelings because no one had – I had never had the opportunity to understand why they were upset. I had no opportunity to understand why they felt what, the way they did. I didn't understand it. it. No one took me aside to say, look, Marley – this is what you did. This is what we do. This is what we see. This is what we think. This is what we feel. This is what we think of you. This is what we think you do right. This is what you think you do wrong. And it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair because I, it was sort of this crab theory thing. I mean, I was at the top, so to speak, and they were all trying to tear me down. And I just decided to step away from the deaf community for a long time. I would say 10 to 15 years. I chose not to get involved at whatsoever. And I just Mm. did my thing as an actor. And then I slowly made my way back into the community and sort of look at it with a wary eye because there's a lot of politics involved there. Uh, I was raised to believe that you could do whatever you want to do as long as you were comfortable, as long as you felt you were doing what was right, and that we all fall, but that we all have the great opportunity to get back up on our feet again and and achieve success. What improvements have you seen towards the deaf communities since you first started out? 
in in film and television or in general? Yeah, on film in film and television, particularly on screen. There are, as you said, not everybody's in love with Switched at Birth, and they're entitled to their opinion. Um, they can watch a show just like anybody else can watch whatever show they want, whether they're deaf or hearing. But in terms of deaf actors, there are, as a result of the show, a great number of actors who've gotten an opportunity to work. And there was an entire deaf cast of hearing and deaf actors together in Spring Awakening right. on Broadway last year. Children Lost Their God, then Big River, and then um, this is the third, so uh, Spring Awakening. So it's there are more and more, but... It's it's not as fast as I would like to see. It's been 30 years since I won the Oscar. You'd think that something mm. would have happened sooner. Um, and there are still films and television shows that are casting hearing people to play right. deaf people. Um, and I think that a lot of the argument has to do with, oh, well, we need to have international box office or we need to get yeah. something. It's about box office. But I can say uh, definitely there are more deaf actors out there that there were, yeah. than there were in the past. It's just still not – it doesn't reach the level of uh, of equality when it comes to you know other actors when you're talking about diversity. Yeah. I mean even just last year when the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced their sort of initiative to change up the, uh, the membership qualifications um, in response to Oscar So White, they addressed – Lot they address gender, they address race, sexuality, except deafness, except deafness and disability. No mention of deafness right. and disability whatsoever, and that was very disappointing to me. I mean, I know you've been outspoken about that in the last year. Have you seen any sort of movement on behalf of the academy? Um, I don't know. I don't know if in the academy they've they've addressed the point. I, I mean, I know that Cheryl Boone Isaacs is very open. Um, and yet when I get the screeners for the Oscars, they're not all captioned. So that means that people who have uh, hearing loss or who are deaf or hard of hearing and members of the Academy aren't able to watch. Wow, these screeners. I didn't realize that. Um, I think that that's that's important um, in order to vote um, this year when they did a retrospective of all the female actors who won Best Actress. They didn't show Louise Fletcher signing her Oscar speech in sign language. They didn't show me signing my Oscar speech. Um, Jane Fonda won signing her Oscar speech for Coming Home. They didn't show that. They showed everybody else. And mm. I don't know why. Interesting. I don't know why. Um, have you ever... I'm, I'm sure like every person, I, I think anyone who is not a straight white guy has probably at some point as an actor turned down uh, roles that they found uh, demeaning or offensive. Have you, have you ever done that? Uh, roles that you felt would shine a not so positive light on? No, but there are some there are some who should. I mean, there's uh, some there are some, there's a movie coming out in the fall that had roles uh, it's called Wonderstruck and there are roles in there for deaf actors that I think they should have turned on the role because the lead actress who played the role is not deaf but she's playing a deaf person and that's all I'm going to leave it at that. Mm. I mean that's happened to you quite a few times right? I know you've talked about the piano you auditioned for it or you at least spoke about trying out. Well, I mean l- listen in the piano she was casting a person who didn't speak speak Mm -hmm. but who could hear so the idea wasn't that she was a deaf person she was a person who was mute so she didn't have to speak so the idea wasn't about the casting of a hearing person in deaf role the idea was just open up your mind to allow a deaf person to play somebody who's not disabled Mm -hmm. if you want to put it that way so when confronted uh, they said well it'll be hard for the audience to believe that it's 
Marley Matlin who can hear on the role because we know she's deaf. And the the argument was putting back to them was, well, do you believe that Al Pacino is blind in scent of a woman? Do you believe Dustin Hoffman has autism in, in uh, Rain Man? It's all the same. It works one way for a, a non-disabled to play disabled, but it doesn't seem to work the other way. Hmm. And... Kind of going back to just the idea of of you being sort of a representative and and stepping into that role, um, when you're on the set for new projects, especially if you're with working with people you haven't necessarily worked with before, do you feel as though you have to do, both do your job as an actor, but also serve as a sort of consultant to make sure that you know things are happening right? No, that's not my job. I'm I know I'm I'm a very outgoing and gregarious mm-hmm. person, and I find that you can do this all indirectly. Mm-hmm. I don't have to teach them about it. I don't. Have, well, I don't know. May, maybe they want to learn signs, dirty signs in sign language, <laughs> and I'll teach them that. But I I I don't feel like there should be any reservations about communications. I always have an interpreter mm-hmm. on the set. Most people are fair. People who work in the entertainment business are fairly uh, experienced, and I've been around long enough that they know. And um, you know that I, you know, for me, you don't have to worry about the phone. You can text me. You can send me a message. You shouldn't talk to the interpreter directly and say, "Tell her." People pretty much know all this stuff by mm-hmm. by now. It's not that hard to adapt. It takes a few seconds to make it happen. So I don't usually do that. But I'm not the person who teaches the other actors how to sign. I'm that's not my job. I'm the actor. But if they ask me a question, I'm more than happy to share information. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I'm a very I'm a very approachable mm, person. Yes. I I have not met you. We are talking across uh, two different coasts, but you seem very approachable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the last question that I ask all of my guests on this show, um, I will ask to you, Marley, and it is, can you recall the last time you saw something on screen in a film, TV show, um, that you were not directly involved with, where you felt as though you were represented or you felt as if you saw yourself in that show, that character? That's a very good question. Let me see. Um, Oh, uh, I don't, I haven't been watching a lot of TV with this, which is the problem for me lately. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more concerned about grades and getting them to volleyball or soccer practice or oh gosh <laughs> um um veep veep i love veep i love and there's something in there this uh, this idea of the woman with the assistant who misunderstands her all the time <laughs> i think that's kind of funny i that certainly happens yeah. with me but there hasn't been anything that i find that reflects my experience um i i'm not I'm 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 telling Marley that uh, she should be watching Big Little Lies <laughs> because that's her wheelhouse. <laughs> Big Little Lies is about mothers and kids and the things that go on behind the and and I'm trying to encourage Marley to watch this is Jack speaking and I think she would get a big kick out of it because it involves a lot of fantasies and it's for very strong women mm-hmm. actors um which we haven't seen in a yeah. long time. This is Jack going back to Marley now. You know what all I can say is that when we're talking about film or television and uh, no one should ever be afraid to think of an idea of say, you know what? Why don't we change it up a little bit? Why don't we put somebody in a wheelchair? Why don't we put somebody who's deaf? Why not? And if it doesn't work, okay, move on. But give it a try. Mm-hmm. 
Remember, it works. It worked on the West Wing. It worked on the L Word. It worked on Switched at Birth. It worked on Picket Fences. It worked on Law and Order SVU. It works all the time. It just happens that it was always with me. But you can use me or any number of deaf actors out there. It works. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Marley. It was an honor to have you on. I'm just really happy we got to make this happen. And thank you, Jack, for, for, you know, helping us make it happen. It's great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. That is all for today. My dear colleague, Derek, thanks for reminding us that coming to America is both amazing and problematic all at once. And many thanks to Marley and Jack for an incredibly insightful conversation. It was very much a pleasure. And a reminder to our listeners to head over to our Facebook page, Slate Represent, to share your thoughts on today's episodes. And as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher, or any other place you find your podcast if you're not subscribed to us already. And after you subscribe to us, you should definitely rate us as well. Also, as we first announced in our last episode, we are having a live show, our very first live show at the Tribeca Film Festival on April 24th at 6.45 p.m., And it's our very first live show. I'm very much looking forward to it. You all should get your tickets as soon as possible. And we'll put some more information for where you can find it uh, in our show page. But you can visit slate.com slash live if you're listening right now. The Represent is produced by the lovely, amazing Verilyn Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of Panoply. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. And that music you're hearing is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band, Midtown Social. Until next time.